First, secure your own oxygen mask. This directive is familiar to all of us who have flown on commercial airline flights. First, secure your own oxygen mask. We've heard this because in the event of an emergency, right, a sudden loss of cabin pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the control panel above us. And the great temptation at that point is to trying to help a child sitting next to you, right? Especially if it's your own child. Uh, Secure the oxygen mask on that helpless little person. Or if you're an adult with having older parents with you on that flight, uh, the temptation for your part is to secure the oxygen mask upon that older person sitting next to you. Well, this initial response is very understandable. It's kind. It's compassionate. It's also not very helpful. We will not be able to help our seatmates in the event of a sudden loss of cabin pressure if we have passed out from a lack of oxygen. No, it's very clear. In the state of an emergency, when the plane is in turbulent airspace, it might be counterintuitive because we always want to help people next to us, but the directive is very important. First, secure your own oxygen mask. Let me be blunt and restate the absolute obvious. This is an emergency situation. The plane, the nation, the world, our community, your family, all of us are in turbulent airspace. There has been a sudden loss of cabin pressure, and the oxygen mass have dropped. Because of COVID-19, coronavirus, uh, we're all, <laughs> we are all looking for safety and security. We're lonely, we're depressed, maybe we already have cabin fever, and maybe our children are always already bouncing off the walls. There's certainly an economic impact to all of this, as we are acutely aware. Wall Street had its third worst day ever this past Monday. It's easy to panic. It's natural to panic. It's easy to be depressed. It's natural to be depressed. What should we do in this absolutely unprecedented time in our world where there is this deadly virus spreading throughout Italy, Spain, and obviously the United States of America and all over the world? What should we do? The, the initial response might be to, to help other people, uh, to go to their rescue, probably people in her own family. But that is kind and that's considerate, but that's not 
the best strategy. The best strategy when the plane is in turbulent water is to first secure your own oxygen mask. That's what the prophet Zechariah says. Many of you know we're in this sermon series during Lent on the second to last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah. Zechariah, 6th century B.C. prophet. We are looking at this series under the theme, Your Kingdom Come. Your Kingdom Come. Zechariah chapter 8 is where we're at this morning. And Zechariah 8 has a twofold movement. God's kingdom comes to us, so God's kingdom can come through us. It's pretty simple. Let me repeat it. To us, then through us. To us, <laughs> in large amounts of gospel-saturated oxygen to bring us life and renewal and power and hope. To us. That's the first half of Zechariah 8. And then through us, through us, that's the second half of Zechariah chapter 8. Through us, so we are calm in the midst of chaos. We have peace in the midst of the pandemic. And we have truth for people, gospel truth for people with our lips and our lives in these turbulent times. The oxygen mass have dropped. So here we go, first half of Zechariah 8. First secure your own oxygen mass. Become alive again in the gospel. And here the gospel promises. First one is this in Zechariah 8. God dwells with his people. God is not just a God up there. God is a God down here. God is not God just in the abstract. God is God in the concrete. Look at this. God says, I've returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. As simple as it sounds, you are not alone. The most literal translation of Hebrews 13 verse 5 says this from God's heart. I will never, 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 never. That's right. There's five never words in Zechariah 13 verse 5. I will never, 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 never leave you or forsake you. His name is Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus. God dwells with his people. That's large amounts of gospel saturated oxygen. Zechariah goes on. Chapter 8, people live in peace. The most vulnerable people are older people and small children in any time, in any society, (laughs) in any kind of a pandemic like this. And so look at this beautiful gospel promise. Old men and old women, they're not socially isolated. They're not sheltered in place. They're not socially distancing. No, that's not God's final plan. They shall sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of great age. 
And then the young people, uh, the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Happiness and harmony, safety and shalom for the most vulnerable people in society, the old and the very young. God dwells with his people. That's how it all starts. The kingdom of God comes to us. God with us, Emmanuel. And then what does that do? People live in shalom and safety. Because on, there's more gospel-saturated oxygen. People come home. They come home. Exiles come home. Verses 7 and 8. God says, I'll save my people from the east country, from the west country. I'll bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people. I'll be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. We are never too far from God's outstretched, merciful arm. Wherever we are, from the east and the west, implying the north and the south as well, God brings us, right, in this ancient promise from Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, right? That's Exodus 6, 7. Zechariah turns it around. They shall be my people, I'll be their God. And this doesn't come because of my faithfulness or my righteousness, no. This is God's faithfulness. This is God's righteousness. Exiles, people far away, come home to the new Jerusalem. God dwells with his people. People live in shalom and peace, the young and the old, everyone in between. And exiles come home, but there's more. Creation is renewed. The vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give its produce, and the heaven shall give their due. Everything that is so wrong with creation, tsunamis, earthquakes, viruses, pandemics, death itself, disease, mildew, blight, drought, it's all gone. Creation is renewed. Zechariah ends this first half of chapter 8 with this fifth promise. Fasts yield to feasts. Uh, Many of us understand by now in the book of Zechariah that people had lived through or were cognizant of the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 587 B.C. So people were mourning that. They were lamenting that. They were fasting over that. They had all kinds of fasts the fourth month, the fifth month, the seventh month, the tenth month. All of these were related to Jerusalem's demise, the temple's destruction, the exile of the last king, Zedekiah, and then the murder of the first Babylonian-appointed governor named Gedaliah. So all of these fasts, these times of mourning and lamentation and sighing, see, shall be what? To the house of Judah, seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Sackcloth and sadness turned into singing. Morning turned into music. Deep sighs turned into cheerful, hearty, endless hallelujahs. 
all of these promises are all the more sweeter because of Jesus. That's what Paul teaches. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, whatever God has promised, and we've just looked at five of them in Zechariah 8, whatever God has promised, those promises are yes in Christ. Presence, I will dwell with my people. Protection for the young and the old and everyone in between. Salvation from the east and west, north and south. God will be our God and we will be his people in his faithfulness, in his righteousness. Renewal for creation. And then fast, turn to feast, an everlasting feast. Celebration. First, secure your own oxygen mask. Breathe deeply into these gospel promises that are ours because of the crucified, risen, and reigning Lord Jesus. And if we don't, all of this becomes cliche, humdrum, No big deal. Completely blasé. If we don't first secure this gospel-saturated oxygen, then we forego the stunning implications of the gospel. Uh, Then we (laughs) aren't mesmerized and captivated by the stunning facts that an innocent man died so we don't have to, that a murdered man came back to life, that in Jesus we have presence, God's protection, salvation, renewal, and celebration. When we're not breathing deeply into this gospel power, then what is to be so transformative and exciting and exuberant simply becomes old news. First, secure your own oxygen mask. Breathe deeply into this gospel-saturated gift of God. Ezekiel chapter 37 says that God breathes living breath into dry bones. Picking up on that in John chapter 20, in the upper room after his resurrection from the dead, it says Jesus breathed on his disciples. You see, God breathes breath into dead people, hopeless people, dry bones people, the disciples who are locked in the upper room for fear of the Jews. Once we begin to breathe deeply into the love and the life of Jesus, then we are able to speak peace in the midst of pandemonium and, and as I said, have calm in the midst of chaos and speak truth, truth, gospel truth, biblical truth in turbulent times. The plane is in turbulent airspace because of COVID-19, coronavirus, 
it would appear as though we are heading for a economic and emotional and spiritual crash of momentous proportions. That's the first half of Zechariah 8. The kingdom of God comes to us and we personalize it and we breathe deeply into the promises of Jesus. The second half of Zechariah 8, remember, the kingdom to us, then through us. What does that look like? What does it mean once we are alive in Jesus? How do we help people who are struggling and depressed and lonely and financially on the edge of their seats? That's where Zechariah helps us as well. He reminds us at the end of chapter 8 that this gospel is for everyone, right? Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. The gospel is universal. I've highlighted two words here. They're the same word, but highlighted the two times they come at the end of Zechariah 8. Entreat, entreat. Why do I do that? Because this is the way chapters 7 and 8 begin. Their their own unit in the 14-chapter book we call Zechariah. But chapters 7 and 8 begin with some people from a town called Bethel. Bethel, this is Zechariah 7, verse 2. These Bethelites come to Jerusalem because they hear that the second temple is being rebuilt by a man named Zerubbabel. So these Bethelites come in chapter 7, verse 2, and they entreat the Lord. And so what is particular of these Bethelites now becomes universal. Not just these three or four people from Bethel come to entreat the Lord. No, now it's a worldwide pilgrimage to the Lord. Look at this. People shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord, to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. What starts out as a small trickle of Bethelites in chapter 7, verse 2, now becomes a worldwide flood. Look at it. Inhabitants of many cities, even individuals say, I myself am going. Many people, strong nations come. Every tribe, nation, people, and language, the gospel is universal. So who needs the pure oxygen of the gospel? Everyone. Next point Zachariah makes The gospel is not only universal, it's also personal. It's personal. 
Attend people from the nations of every tongue will see. Sees in other contexts that word in the Old Testament means to grab passionately, hold on to, don't let go. Sees, it's a strong word, the robe of a Judahite. So as these nations come, it's universal. They're going to grab on to one Judahite. It's also personal. Now, why would they grab on to one Judahite, the robe? <laughs> because this Judahite has calm in the midst of chaos, peace in the midst of pandemonium, and gospel truth in turbulent times. See, the gospel for us is not just true in a kind of sing-songy way. No, it's personal for us. Jesus loves me, this I know. And when people see that in me, see that I'm different, they will want to seize the robe, right? They want to seize a relationship with me. They want to get connected to me because they know that they know that this person is different. Sure, the gospel's universal. It's also personal. People connecting to us one-on-one. A study was done just several years ago about 8,000 people who became believers in Jesus. The question was, how did they come to believe in Jesus? These 8,000 people. 5% came by just walking in the church. 7% came because they had heard of the pastor. 3% came to know Jesus because of some program in the church. One percent came because of door-to-door visitation. Five percent came because of the Sunday school of that particular church. Do the math. Eighty percent came to know Jesus because of a personal invitation by a friend or relative. You see, they seized the robe. (laughs) They seized, they grabbed hold of someone because they knew that this person had truth when the plane was going down. The gospel's universal. It's personal. One-on-one relationships. Zechariah then ends chapter 8 by telling us the gospel is vocal. Vocal is something we finally say, right? Let us go with you. This is why these nations, these Gentiles, are coming to grab the hem of a Judahite garment because we've heard that God is with you. We heard it. We heard this is how Zechariah chapter 8 begins, right? God's dwelling with his people. It's the Emmanuel prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The gospel is vocal. We not only let our light shine, (laughs) but we also speak about the light of the world. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing. We speak into people's ears. So when you're on the playground with your small children, 
and you speak to them and discipline them kindly and lovingly, other mothers will note that there's something different about you. God is with that person. When you're in the office and you refuse to engage in office politics or office gossip, then people see that that there's something different about you. They hear it. When you even confess your own sin in humility, then people see that the gospel you proclaim is real for you. The gospel is vocal. It's what we say so people hear that God is with his people. To teenagers, especially seniors in high school, whose entire spring has come, been completely undone. We say, Jesus died for this. We say it. To, to other children who are going to be home now for days, weeks, maybe months, we say, his name is Emmanuel, God with us, even in this. To people who are now suddenly out of employment, or their life savings is dwindling in front of them, their very eyes. We say, we say, Jesus even redeems this. To people who are scared silly about getting coronavirus or maybe one of their own family members dying from this, We say the gospel is vocal. We say that Jesus entered into death and Jesus even conquered this. Conversely, if all we think about is ourselves, if all we talk about is ourselves, if we continue to stockpile and hoard food and commodities then we simply say Jesus is jargon. Jesus is blasé. Jesus can't handle pandemics. May it never be said among us. The gospel isn't just black and white on paper. The gospel is neon lights, living color. The gospel breathes new life into dead people. The gospel can be applied from a million different directions for a million different needs. The gospel, (laughs) all the promises of God, yes and amen in Jesus, the gospel is what God offers for you today. We're going to continue to hear the cries, feel the need, sense the loneliness. We are in turbulent, uncharted, unprecedented airspace. What are we going to do? (laughs) 
you know by now. First, secure your own oxygen mask. 